everybody and welcome to episode 17 six to six i'm your host andrew forbes and i'm here with my co-host peter barracchini and peter a big week in terms of uh hockey news when we were looking at all the leagues around the world right now um mm-hmm. more more news about uh you know kind of what leagues are going to do with this whole covid still going on and and then uh, obviously overseas we've got some uh, some young players and uh that could be wearing Maple Leafs blue and white soon. Um, obviously off to great starts. Uh, how's your week off the top of this show? Um, it was nice. It was nice and relaxing and everything like that. Um, I'm just, you know, really, again, we're in a situation where we really can't do much, but, uh, on a positive note, I was able to get a Nintendo switch. Finally, after so many years of like, putting it off and like because ever since it came out i'm like okay you know what this is something i would want it's both handheld it's both a home entertainment system it's like it's everything someone would want and i kept putting it off and putting it off until i'm like you know what i'm bored you know what we're still in covid might as well get it went ordered it picked it up now i'm good to go yeah and you know what perfect time to get it as well like I mean, what else are you doing, really? And and in terms of spending your money on stuff, like I mean, <laughs> I think this is the year to kind of indulge a little bit. No, for sure. And like I'm, like usually I'm, I'm like you know very cautious about what I spend or whatever. But man, you had to get a Nintendo Switch. Like you have to. And now I got like the old school Mario three pack where it's like Mario sixty four and two other games. So I'm gonna rock the old school stuff. As well as like the uh, the new Mario Kart Deluxe Eight, and I'm hoping to get to Breath of the Wild. That's one game that's on my list that's going to take up a lot of time, but I'm really excited for that. There you go. Yeah, I uh, this year's a little different for us here at the the Forbes household. Um, my uh, my wife decided she's gonna purchase her own Christmas gifts, and I'll just wrap them and give them to her. And I think I did the same thing <laughs> with uh, uh, the other day. I got my Joe Thornton jersey in the mail. Hey, beautiful. So I uh, I got the look from uh, from the wife about uh, you know he hasn't even played a, a game in this jersey yet and you're already spending the money on it. But you know what, Hall of Famer, guaranteed Hall of Famer. How can you not even even the fact that he just signed a contract with the Leafs? <laughs> how can you not want to uh, want to get that one added to the wall of uh, wall of jerseys? So it's gonna look even better if he wins a Stanley Cup with the team. Oh, so. 100%. So, so that is a really good purchase in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, uh, I even, uh, took it out and and made sure it fit well. And man, does it, uh, does it it ever feel good to pull that Thornton jersey over the head? So feels like you got drafted. Yeah. Yeah, it does. (laughs) It does. 97, baby. 97. Good number. Good number. There's another 97. That's, you know, pretty good. I don't know. Yeah. He's living up to some expectations, I think. Yeah. Just a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, obviously a lot to talk about, uh, you know, off the, uh, off this, this past week, um, uh, in terms of hockey, um, 
I, I'd like to get uh, get right into some of the sad news, get it out of the way. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to, uh, you know, continually bring some dark news to uh, the, the podcast. But that being said, we had uh, a number uh, a number of um, people pass away in the last week. Um, obviously, um, you know, we, we discussed uh, Lou Nestico passed away. He's a former London Knight, played with the, the OHL club from 1970 to 1973. Um, you know, for a guy who had 420 penalty minutes in the OHL, he also had 169 points in 172 regular season games, so almost a point per game. Um, he passed away at the age of 67. Known as Leapin' Lou for his energetic goal celebrations. Uh, he was a seventh-round pick of the Minnesota North Stars in 1973. And that same year, he was also drafted by the WHA's Toronto Toros in the fifth round. Um, so, obviously, a guy that was well-liked. Um, you know, he played. He only played three games with the Colorado Rockies during the 1977-78 season in the NHL. That said, he also became the director of hockey ops and assistant GM for the CCHL's Hawksbury Hawks Junior A Club, uh, which he held until he passed away this past week at 67. So, obviously, our condolences to the Nestico family and mm-hmm. uh, all his friends and those uh, that uh, obviously, you know, ha- are having a hard time seeing him go um, at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's again, we really hate to talk about this because, you know, in a year where it's just like all filled with like, you know, so much sadness and everything going on right now and people are still you know they're passing away and stuff like that it's really it's really disheartening especially when it comes to the hockey community i know that this week was another tough one no matter what and yeah you listed all of his accomplishments and everything that he's done i mean real central figure um no matter where he was and again like you said our condolences to his family and you know no matter who, no matter who it is, we're going to, we're going to miss them. Yep. And going off of that, obviously, you know, sticking with the OHL, uh, Len Coyle, a uh, longtime former Kingston Frontenac's trainer also passed away at the age of 84. Obviously, you know, we don't talk enough about trainers, uh, whether it be mm-hmm. on the show or in the media, obviously they're kind of the undervalued guys in the uh, locker room in terms of what they do for the players. But, uh, obviously a sad note there as well, a guy who, uh, you know, spent his, uh, his life taking care of uh, other other people and other players and um, you know uh, t- again to the Coyle family and uh, everyone involved there. We obviously send our condolences. Um, but one one note one player worth noting uh, that has also passed away in the past week, Fred. And I'm sorry if I if I don't get this right, Fred Saska Saska Moose. Saska Moose. Um, Saska Moose. Yeah. Um, obviously, a, a, an indigenous pioneer for the uh, for the NHL played, uh, um, you know, eleven games with the the Chicago Blackhawks in 1953-54. Didn't register a point. That said, one of the one of his biggest quotes is that there were 142 players and six teams, and he was one of them. And uh, you know, passed away at the age of 86. Um, it's believed to have been from complications with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of the uh, Athakakoop uh, Cree Nation Reserve uh, in Saskatchewan, um, but uh, yeah, obviously sad news. And, and uh, you know, you hate to see these guys that you know played a huge role in developing the game, uh, you know, leave us. Uh, so 86, 
just kind of hits close to home in terms of, you know, COVID-19 being the uh, the main reason as to why he wasn't able to recover. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what makes this even more disheartening is because it it happened during a pandemic and he, and it, it was believed to be a, t- a positive test, like you mentioned. And he, no matter how you look at it, he was a trailblazer. He set the stage for Indigenous players. And uh, the week when we recorded uh, when Jim Nielsen passed away, uh, Fred um, mentioned a comment about him. And that's where, you know, um, he like where we where, you know, he showed his support to like Indigenous players and how he put he was like a major figure with that. But Fred was the one who, you know, got into the league. He's the one that paved the path for many of them. And he was an important figure to both the indigenous and the hockey community. And he was at the forefront of that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And obviously, like I mentioned, tough to see, uh, see that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and that's why we want to kind of obviously make note of it in the, in the podcast. I know, you know, some of these people aren't maybe as well known to, uh, to other uh, hockey fans, but that being said, it's obviously nice to recognize uh, what they've done for the game, what they've done for the community and, uh, you know, you never like to see this kind of stuff happen to anybody. Absolutely. And included to the Order of Canada. Um, that's That was one of his uh, major accomplishments. Saskatchewan, uh, Saskatchewan Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, a long list of accomplishments and in many, many orders and Hall of Fames right now. So he will definitely be missed. 100%. Um kind of tying into this whole COVID talk. Obviously, we don't want to do too much of it. But that being said, uh, Frank Saravelli released a tweet uh, earlier in the week that the Columbus Blue Jackets um, have had a significant number of players test positive for COVID-19 over the last 7 to 10 days. Uh, it seems they stepped right out of the bubble and into, uh, you know, into the line of fire when it comes to this virus. Um, they did confirm that several players have tested positive. Team facilities have been closed, according to Frank Saravelli. And uh, this is the statement coming from the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets had several players recently test positive for the COVID-19 virus. Those players immediately began to quarantine and the club closed its off-ice facilities at Nationwide Arena beginning the week of November 16th. No voluntary workouts were scheduled this week due to the Thanksgiving holiday. The organization has and will continue to follow all recommended guidelines aimed at protecting the health and safety of our players, staff, and community at large, as set by the NHL, local, state, and national agencies. The club anticipates players returning to our facilities next week for voluntary on- and off-ice workouts. So, Peter, this just kind of brings to brings to the forefront a question of, you know, how exactly the NHL is going to work. Um, I know here in Canada, we've obviously seen numbers climb in a big way over the last little bit. Um, you know, we're seeing provincial highs in Alberta. We're seeing provincial highs in Quebec. We're seeing, you know, uh, a high rate of per capita in Manitoba. Ontario's mm-hmm. not doing anything to, to really lock this stuff down. Um, me uh, on a personal on a personal note, I'm just getting fed up with it. Uh, you know, I, I work uh, I work at uh, a big box chain, um, and uh, it's just it's getting to be, you know, people just aren't recognizing the risks at this point. And I think I think um, this this is a, a prime example. You know, the NHL is going to do everything they can to protect their players, mm-hmm. but 
we're still seeing significant, significant uh, positive tests when it comes to even NHL players. Um, two points. One, in terms of like the Blue Jackets. One, yeah, um, it is disappointing to see that, you know, um, I'm pr- I would hope that they're all taking this, you know, preventative measures, you know, the mask wearing, social distancing and following all the guidelines that are recommended by public health experts. Um, but there are instances where even if you are taking the appropriate steps, things do happen. Um, even when you think you're doing the right thing, there might be a risk. And this is why you cannot let your guard down, especially in a time like this. And it's and going to like the more, you know, personal aspect or like, you know, moving away slowly from hockey in, in that regards is just I know we're all fed up with this. I mean, we've never had to like hunker down for like a whole year and try and get rid of a massive virus. But you know what? Look out for one another. I mean, I don't I don't mean to like, you know, get off topic or anything. But if you look out for one another, if you follow the rules, if you follow the guidelines, listen to the people that actually know what they're talking about. We can get to a point where we won't have to be in lockdown, where we can start to go out. And until we do that, we're not at a point right now where we deserve anything. You, you know how you, you, we kind of hear the phrase, you know, oh, you know, it's an, a reward is given to like good behavior and stuff like that. We're not doing any good behavior right now. I see people just like doing whatever they want. And I get it. We're all fed up. It's, it's COVID fatigue. But you know what? Deal with it. We all have to deal with it right now. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And if if it's like it's like we talk about with hockey teams, if you buy in, if you buy into the system, mm-hmm. things will get better. You will win. You will win. And that's what we're looking for here. We're looking for a win. We're looking yeah. for something to 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 be positive to come out of all of this. And and right now, there's no positivity. What we're mm-hmm. seeing is it's just continually, continually kind of going down that road of of you know, getting worse and worse. And as I mentioned, you know, you look at, look at the, uh, look at the, um, the, the provincial highs that we're seeing right now. It yeah. just, it doesn't make any sense. And, and, you know, you can, you can argue all you want that, you know, whatever, whatever your belief is in, in COVID and, and all that kind of stuff. But look at the numbers right now. Mm-hmm. Look at the number here in London. We have, uh, we have a NICU nurse that uh, has decided that she's going to lead the charge in no mask wearing um, and recently started a rally. Uh, and those those familiar with with London will know Victoria Park, um, one of the one of the center parks in, in downtown London. Uh, and, uh, you know, having just had my son uh, six months ago and he was in in peds uh, for a little while, mm-hmm. um you know, I just question what what a, a NICU nurse is thinking, getting involved in leading the charge in something so ridiculously stupid. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, you know, she's she's been charged and she's she's under review at, at her job. But you know what? <clears throat> I hate to say it, but people like that don't belong in a hospital right now. Not at all. So, I mean, this is just and, and I kind of digress here in terms of talking about hockey but it just i i i'm sure you can tell i'm frustrated i'm Mm -hmm. frustrated with what uh how people are are treating this and how people are reacting and and uh you know at a certain point we have to hold people accountable yeah the one thing that you know the phrase 
treat others the way that you would like to be treated. Yeah. That's how that's what we should all be doing. And we're not seeing any of that right now. If we're if we're, if we're OK, trying to I'm trying to bring hockey into this. The more you do good for everybody else, the more you look out for everybody else, the sooner we could get back to hockey. We could go to a bar, celebrate with friends, drink a beer, or not even just hockey, like going to a baseball game, um, going to a football game if you want to cross the border over into the U.S. Like, you want to get back to normal. I get that, but you're not going to get back to normal quickly unless you do the right things. And hearing that uh, story about the NICU nurse that you just talked about, that's really unsettling that um, someone in the medical field would lead a charge against not wearing a mask during a pandemic. Yeah, it is. It is very questionable in my, and I'm, you felt the same way. And I'm pretty sure there are people out there that feel the same way as well. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say much about that now, right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. <laughs> Um, you know, just before we kind of step away from the COVID talk, I know we do a lot of it and we're, we're kind of mm-hmm. sick of it as well. Um, obviously the world junior team Canada camp, uh, had to shut down as well amid all the COVID, uh, happenings, I guess that were going on there. Um, obviously there was a, a first report that, um, non, I guess, non-essential, uh, members staff. of the team, staff members, uh, were, were had tested positive. Uh, that being said, that's trickled down to to players now as well. And, um, you know, obviously, again, it brings into question, are we going to see a World Junior Tournament this year or not? Mm-hmm. And and that is weighing on a lot of uh, everyone's mind. And uh, with our guests later today, I know we touched up on that a little. I'm not going to say it just yet. But, um, you know, it's it's again, it's frustrating, especially for these players where some of them haven't even played a game yet. And the the, inter, the two inter squad games are like the only, you know, kind of um, games that they have played in little over like eight or nine months. So this is this is what they always fight for, you know, um, in a normal year because they want to go and represent the country. And the, what I saw in the first few games, everyone was laying it out on the line. Like, you know, they want to make this team. And Bob McKenzie brought up a great point in like a little Twitter thread. Um, the challenge, like there were positive tests in training camps before teams even got to the bubble. And that is good. And he mentioned that this is going to be a challenge for a double IHF to get to the bubble with zero positive tests, lock it down. And then, you know, the bubble can get into that point of being successful with like, you know, massive testing, social distancing, you know, all of that. Um, but even we just saw right now, they try to do everything the right way. You know, they separated teams based on, you know, their intra-squad color, team white and team red. NCAA players were in their own separate bubble. They're, they were taking a cautious approach. And again, like I said before, even if you take a cautious approach, a split second, a, the unknown can happen. And it's really, it's, it's difficult because we all want that. We all want hockey again, but yeah. it's now at the point where, you know, if, if they want to get through this, then they're, they're going to have to take that risk. And this is a big risk. And we saw that with the NHL bubble, they sacrificed a lot. They sacrificed their families for, you know, three months, three, four months, even uh, probably even longer than that. 
Um, I'm, I'm always optimistic. I'm very optimistic, even in pessimistic times or like times where people are always, you know, leaning the other way. I think it could still work. I mean, they have the guidelines, they have the format, they follow that to a T. And I said this, you know, many times before it can work. It really can. We like the NHL proved it. Like how, how many weeks with zero positive tests? Yeah, no, exactly. And, um, I think it comes down to just finding the, the routine that's going to work. Obviously, you know, we just mentioned it with the Columbus blue jackets inside the bubble. No issues, no issues. The second you step outside, it, it gives, and I know everyone's looking for this freedom again, but it gives you this sense of freedom. And all of a sudden you're, you're, you're finding that, you know, players are, are testing positive and, and it just, I think we got to find some way of making it work before we even take that next step. I think that's why you don't see the NHL going right now. You don't see the OHL going right now. They don't have that plan in place. Mm-hmm. I mean, the QMJHL got underway and they had positive tests right off the hop. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you on that in terms of just finding finding what's going to work before we even even take that next step. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's that's where, you know, everything falls into place. This they like mm. I, I, again, I, I'm, I don't want to repeat myself, but I've, I've said it too many times. It's, it's, it's what needs to happen. Simple as that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, uh, kind of touching on that as well, obviously with, with news that, the, that COVID's still going strong here. Um, we're going to see the ECHL's North division has forfeited this season. All teams in the North division, uh, expect more teams to kind of follow suit. Um, you know, I, I know that uh, in the coming weeks we're going to have the voice of the uh, Brampton Beast come on, and uh, obviously he'll he'll talk to his side of things and in, in what uh, that means for a guy like himself. Um, but that being said, obviously that's stuff that you don't want to see happen. Um, we also had uh, our, our former colleague Josh Bell uh, reported that the BCHL's Wenatchee Wild has announced that they are taking a hiatus for the 2020-21 season as well. Um, Obviously releasing all their players to give them the opportunity to look for other options uh, for playing this season. Um, The team noted that this is due to the U.S.-Canada border closure and restrictions in the state of Washington. So then we come back to this. And there's leagues that are either teams are forfeiting – or, or like I said, entire divisions are taking the year off. You know, this this is huge in terms of the uh, the development for these players. Um, obviously, like I mentioned with the BCHL, the the Wild, they're going to release all their players, give them an opportunity to look for a uh, a chance to play elsewhere. But as you mentioned, our guest uh, did discuss the the fact that you know there aren't as many op- opportunities overseas that maybe we'd expect. Mm-hmm. And because of that, um, you know, some of these players might not get a might not get a gig this season. And how does that play in? Obviously, the BCHL is now a, a feeder league to the NHL. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked about it with uh, with with Jason, uh, dark, dark guy a couple weeks ago that, you know, this is, you know, the the ECHL, the the um, OJHL, the BCHL, they're all all leagues that are trying to make that uh, become that development program for the NHL draft. And 
to to have to forfeit teams like that it just i i think it hurts overall um you know the development of the players uh the 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 opportunity for these players i i just you know it's it's a big loss in terms of what we're seeing for for these young players now i mean yeah, yeah, I mean, you just took the words out of my mouth. I mean, I was going to say the exact same thing as you did. Like, there's so much uncertainty right now, you know. Even if they do get let go, where are they going to go? You know, are they going to get a chance to play on another team? It's, it's, and this is, you know, the unfortunate aspect, especially when you're talking about sports and, you know, the COVID era. It's going to hit hard, especially on like minor hockey teams right now who are depending on this because this could be their livelihood. I mean, we've seen like great prospects come out of the BCHL. I mean, we're seeing a couple of them right now. Uh, I mean, uh, we saw uh, Kent Johnson, you know, who's tearing it up right now. He was a product of the BCHL. Uh, Carson Kuhlman's right now. He's a prospect uh, playing uh, for, uh, well, he, I think he's in the AJHL, Alberta um, Junior Hockey League. But it's those junior levels that, you know, it's 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 what you would expect. It's still a growing, you know, division that's generating a lot of prospects. And we may not get to see that right now. And it's it, and, and these kids work a lot. They work hard. They want to get to that point. And, you know, even if the even if you go to the ECHL. You know, these are kids that like just got drafted and they want to get to that point again. They want to like, you know, rise up through the rankings. That's start from the bottom and work your way up to the AHL. And you could be that next person to be a star in the NHL. It's, you know, it's, it's tough. You hate to see this no matter what. Yeah. And, and going off of that, you know, obviously we're talking about the West coast a little bit here with the BCHL. Um, the WHL cup was also canceled due to COVID. Um, and for, for those who don't know the the WHL cup is kind of the feeder into the WHL, uh, in terms of, you know, these young players getting a chance to play in, in a massive tournament that, uh, you know, you've got scouts there, you've got, uh, you've got coaches there, you've got, uh, all sorts of players from all, all across, uh, different leagues that, that kind of feed into what the uh, WHL is. Um, so again, another, you know, you're talking about the next generation following, you know, the next couple of drafts. This is the next generation of players that are also not getting that opportunity to, to kind of show off what they're able to do. And maybe, maybe there's some, some lost talent in there that, you know, scouts don't get to see uh, this, this time around. So uh, it's just, in terms of what uh, what this has done to the hockey world, um, forget what it's done to, you know, communities around the globe without the game of hockey. This is just tearing down um, opportunities and development for, for young players right now. Yeah, and uh, the WHL Cup, uh, just if you want for reference too, it's the equivalent to what the OHL Cup is in the GTHL. So there's, you you could have, you know, a rising star that's, you know, like Shane Wright over in the OHL that gets drafted in uh, or the, in the GTHL that gets drafted in the DO. You could have that next superstar in the making in the that's putting up like, you know, Connor McDavid numbers in the in the Western side of things. And they're going to be one step behind. And again, it's it, with all this COVID talk right now, it's just really, you know, frustrating no matter what, um, it, and but we're seeing the trickle down effect. It's 
it is what it is, and it's disappointing. Um, yeah, I, I really have no, nothing else to say, man. Yeah, um, <laughs> let's. Uh, one more note uh, worth worth talking about uh, before we jump to some of the better news in the hockey world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kitchener Rangers um, did mention that they. Uh, they they were at deficit this this uh, past season, obviously losing uh, losing out on fans and such. Um, they uh, they took a loss this season for the first time in a number of years. Um, just uh, pulling it up here, Josh Brown from the uh, the Kitchener um, or the sorry the Waterloo Region Record. Uh, he reported that the Kitchener Rangers reported a net loss of eighty three thousand seven hundred thirty six dollars in twenty twenty fiscal year. Um, Obviously, you know, like as I mentioned, this is the first time the club has failed to record a profit in in the past twenty five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year the club made three hundred thirty five thousand. So just it it kind of shows you just where where the game of hockey is at right now with not having fans in there. Um, obviously, still having to pay players, staff, what what have you. Um, you know, you, you take that, those numbers and, and realistically you're closer to, you know, 425 K that the Kitchener Rangers are down this year. Um, Mm -hmm. and it just, it, it, it's mind blowing what, uh, what this has done to, to, to small teams like that. Like obviously, you know, NHL clubs can, can rebound. Um, but you're going to see some of these smaller teams in, let's say the OHL, WHL, QMJHL that aren't going to bounce back the way that uh, that the NHL clubs are able to. Um, yeah. And, and that's going to affect the league overall eventually. It's just a matter of, um, you know, where to where they go from here, whether they, they do something like the NHL and they do kind of a profit sharing for, for the time being until everyone kind of gets back on their feet. Mm-hmm. The point being is that, uh, you know, COVID and, and this, this, um, quarantine or what what have you this lockdown has really been a detrimental um issue when you're talking about smaller leagues like the ohl yeah we're seeing we're seeing the human side you know we're seeing the emotional side we're seeing the developmental side and now we're seeing the financial side of the impact that this has had and i mean like you said there could be like a profit sharing program that you know could help out these teams and you know what? I'm again. I'm really optimistic. Uh, in case you you or you know the listeners don't know, um, uh, I think that once everything and fans are starting to come back, I think we're going to see. I would hope to see a record number of fans coming out supporting the teams, supporting the players after everything that you know we've all been through. And, you know, the fact that, you know, we've only had sports for like a couple of months and even then sports didn't feel like sports. You go into that atmosphere, you go into the arena and things change. And when fans are coming back at OHL, WHL, QMJHL, if they're like, you know, a a strong franchise financially, if they're weak franchise financially, I'm expecting everybody to come out and support and show their I show that this is what they wanted this is what missing this is what they were missing in their lives and I would hope to see over time that you know the Kitchener Rangers could make up for that um 
again, I'm I'm hoping that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, I don't want to get into that because I want to like I want to be positive. Um, we should all get to that point again, and I think the fans are all going to come together. The hockey community always comes together. Sports communities always come together and show support. Sports are going to come out big. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, I, I do think, like, teams like Kitchener will be able to bounce back. Um, obviously, they've made a pretty, pun- pretty penny over the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think one year is going to hurt them. I'm, I'm more thinking, like, teams, you talk about, like, the Saginaw Spirit. You talk about yeah. the Flint Firebirds. These are teams that maybe won't bounce back the same way that, um, you know, like a London Knights team will or, mm-hmm. or a Kitchener Rangers team will. Um you know, a, a Sault Ste. Marie team might uh, bounce back easier than, let's say, a Sudbury Wolves team. Um, I, I just think that, you know, those smaller teams are going to take a huge hit. So there's going to be there's going to yeah. have to be a discussion there from a league standpoint as to what they're going to do to help these teams that might not make it through this. It's like a small business right now. Small businesses mm-hmm. are, are, are struggling. And that's why you yeah. see a lot of people fighting to support local. I mean, you you've got it uh, down your way in Toronto. Um, you know uh, uh, the the owner of a barbecue shop that oh, breaks into yeah. his own breaks into his own business to serve food. Um, mm-hmm. You know because that's that's his livelihood. Um, yeah. And he's he's being basically crucified for for what he's doing. And then you've got the other side of things where you know people want to support this guy in trying to to continue his business because he is a small business. Mm-hmm. He's a local watering hole for you guys. So um, you know it's just. It's you're starting to see the craziness a little bit uh, in terms of like you mentioned you're when it comes to hockey development business financial um, the personal side of things like it's just it's all starting to tie together now and I think I think we we got to take a close look at how things are going to work coming out of this once once we do get to that point yeah hundred percent um, okay enough of the bad news let's get into some, <laughs> some good news here let's do it. Let's 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 talk about the the good things happening in hockey right now. Um, obviously, yeah. uh, teams are still sending players overseas uh, on loan. Uh, Michael Raffles, the latest latest player to to go over, uh, he's been loaned by the Philadelphia Flyers to um, the Austrian team Villiker S V of the Austrian league Ice HL. Um, Obviously, Raffle, a younger player, I guess younger, 31 years old. He's he's uh, kind of middle-aged, let's say now. Um, 152 points in 470 career games in the NHL um, this past season. He had 20 points in 58 games and uh, added another five points in nine playoff games for the Philadelphia Flyers. So obviously good for him to get his feet uh or get his feet going and, and and get his toes wet again with uh, with the game as he awaits a uh, uh, a decision on when the NHL will return um, mm-hmm. for him. It's heading back home. He's from Austria, so uh, perfect for him. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a good move for some of these players if they can find the opportunities to get over there and get their feet moving, just like uh, Joe Thornton did with HC Davos. Yeah, and especially if you know it's a player going back to their hometown. You know, I mean it. it it's in an area, I mean, the, I mean, the Austria, you know, you, you see them starting to like develop in terms of like being an international uh, f- a team that, that can't compete in, uh, in hockey right now. 
So the the fact that he's going back home right now, that he's an NHL player, could sure show some reassurance that you know what, you got an NHL name back on a hometown team. I mean, what better way to try and promote that within your own country than with with a move like that? And he's, I've always liked him. He's always a he's a very versatile forward. I mean, every single time in the past, even right now this year, well, when there was hockey, he always makes something happen. And he may not put up the points, but he's always a figure, and he's always a main he's always a main contributor in any regard, battling for a puck, net front presence, everything. I've always liked Michael Raffle. Sorry, I just wanted to get that PSA out there. Yeah, no, no for <laughs> sure. I always like to mention when we're, we're talking about underrated players because I do think Raffle's a little underrated. He brings mm-hmm. kind of that physical side. His point totals are never going to be you know, what you expect from maybe a top six forward. Um, yeah. That said, he doesn't play a top six role. So he, he kind of fits into the, the mold of what uh, what is expected of him. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's why he's been able to stick around for, for as long as he has. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's a good move for him. And like you said, you know, obviously he gets to go home and, and uh, you know, probably be close to family, which is, is, is a great move. And yeah. Um, you know, just getting his feet moving again, getting uh, getting into to high intensity games and, and uh, you know, getting those reps. And I think that's important for players that maybe maybe aren't your top six forwards because, you know, it gives them that little added bonus of, of experience and time played. So and you mentioned his age, too. I mean, he's over 30, not quite at the age where, you know, you got to worry about your, like your health and everything, but he's, he is getting up there. So, you know what, being a 30 year old player trying to stay in shape. I mean, that's, that could go well for him. That will. hundred percent. Um, and, and I want to jump from the NHL right now to the NWHL. Uh, we're talking about signings and, uh, you know, one of our, um, former colleagues, uh, now the GM of the Buffalo Buttes, uh, he's had a busy off season, mm-hmm. uh, Nate Oliver, um, just having a great off season, I think, right now with the Buffalo Buttes in terms of what he's been able to do and what he's been able to bring in. Uh, he just signed 26-year-old Jordan Geron, uh, fr- who played last year with the uh, Boston Pride, but has been a product of the Buffalo Buttes uh, the two seasons prior to that. Um, she's a Boston University product, 26-year-old. Um, again, we talk about depth forwards. She seems to be the same same type of player. Kind of fits that mold. Uh, she had a high, uh, a career high, fourteen points in thirty nine games with Boston University in twenty fifteen sixteen. Um, the last couple of years, she's kind of uh, only played a couple a uh, couple of games with the Buttes, and and then uh, again played eight games with the Boston Pride last season uh, with three points to show for it. So it'll be good for her to to bounce back to the the Buffalo Buttes and, and maybe playing a, in a spot where she's she has a little bit of comfort and uh, be that depth player for, for the Buttes. Native of New York as well. So, you know, always good when a player goes home, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you said it, Nathaniel, big ups, uh, big a shout out to him right now because, you know, he had a, he had a really interesting comment uh, on the signing. He said that Jordan is a trusted leader and competitor. When she played for us previously, she was considered a bit of a secret weapon for the team. We have a young team this season, and Jordan is the type of player who sets the best kind of example. She has played with and against the best of the best. We are very pleased to have her back in a Buttes uniform. So if she was a secret weapon back then, expect her to be a secret weapon right now. I mean, 
it, my, you know, sort of like hockey analysis right there for the day. I think it's crazy too. You know, <laughs> you, you talk your or his comment there talks about her as a leader and, mm-hmm. and with the young club, I mean, she's just 26 years old, 26 yep. years old. And she's seen as a leader right now. That's, that's a huge compliment to her. Um, and obviously like, like I said, uh, Nate's done a, a phenomenal job. Um, I know Nate on a personal level, having met up yeah. with him a few times in Buffalo for the combine. Uh, fantastic guy. He's doing a great job with Buffalo right now. And, and, and uh, you know, you know, you heard it right in that comment. I, he thinks it's a great signing for the Buttes. And, um, you know, I stand by what he says. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, we like even when I first started off, I was like reading all this stuff uh, with the NWHL and everything like that. And you know what? He knows what he's talking about. I mean, simple as that. I mean, uh, I have no problems that, you know, with, um, with, I mean, with the direction the team is going, they're in a good spot, no matter how you look at it. And Nathaniel is still doing a great job. Yeah. And uh, again, we'll touch on it a little bit with our guests coming up. But uh, the Chicago Blackhawks signed Kendall Coyne Schofield as a player development coach. Um, I think it's a great move, uh, by the Blackhawks. Um, obviously, you know, as, as you'll hear with our guest, uh, the way that she was able to, the way that she was able to skate during her playing days, mm-hmm. what she's going to bring to that team is, is phenomenal. And I think it's an under underrated move, um, for them to, to bring in Kendall Coyne Schofield as, as a player development coach. But I think it's a great move nonetheless, um, it, and it, I think it'll show in terms of what uh, Chicago's got in the pipeline and what she's able to do with that uh, that group. Um, she she uh, she was quoted by ESPN as saying it's a dream come true to become an NHL or to to become an NHL GM one day. And I think this is the first step in her kind of um, making that jump into the NHL and, and getting uh, getting her name known as to what she can bring to that side of the the game as well in terms of a management aspect i honestly don't think you could have made a better hire than that than one of the best female hockey players out there right now um signing her signing her with the hometown team again kind of like um jordan Duran, who doesn't like who, do, who doesn't love having their hometown like a hometown name come back um but more importantly she's growing a long like she joins a growing list of women who are you know being pl- employed by nhl teams right now um, Hilly Wickenheiser with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Cami Granado, who's now a pro scout, uh, with the Seattle Kraken. Um, and now you could add Kendall to that list. Um, there's no one better right now to help out your prospects or you to be that developmental coach and help them out than Kendall. And there is a great coach from a uh, great coach, great quote from the Chicago Tribune, um, where she said, while I might be the first female coach, a lot of these players have worked with. Um, I don't see it being an issue. I see them as seeing me as someone that's going to help them aspire to get to the next level to fulfill their NHL dream. I'm going to do, I'm going to do everything I can to get them ready to do that. I mean, that's me right there. It says that she means business and she's going to do whatever it takes to impose or to impart her words of wisdom and her um, skills, tactics, whatever have you on players that are coming through the uh, the Chicago development system right now. And again, I, I really, really love this move. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's worth noting as well. Coin Schofield is just 28. So still yep. very, very young. 
Um, that's coming from a 32 year old. So, I mean, take, yeah. take it for what you will, but, um, she's still an active player. She's going to, yep. she's going to serve a dual role with the Blackhawks. Um, she'll also serve as the youth hockey growth specialist. Um, so she'll continue to lead her all girls youth program, the golden coins. Um, love that name, by the way. Fitting. Um, she also interned with the Blackhawks communication department while she was studying, studying at North Northeastern university. So, that's worth noting as well. Um, from from a standpoint of what she's going to be doing with the team, um, she'll she'll uh, develop relationships with the Chicago prospects. Um, one, you know, they're obviously scattered all over the world, but she'll also be included in doing scouting reports, breaking down film, conducting virtual video sessions with the prospects, and being on the ice with the Rockford uh, with the Rockford affiliate as well. So. Um, she, she also mentioned that, you know, knowing there, are, this is a quote from ESPN, knowing there are going to be, uh, people watching me on the ice and seeing a woman in a coaching role just shows what's possible for the next generation. That's what's, ex- what excites me. And I think that's a great quote in terms of just, you know, what we've been talking about a lot lately, just not just us, you and I, but as, as a, as a hockey community in terms of getting, more recognition and more excitement towards the the women's aspect of the game and women in sports. I think that's important, and I think what she's doing is is a great step in the right direction. I think it's just a step, and it, and we need to continue down this road. No, definitely. And I mean, I know Kirby Doc has already you know played a full season in the NHL right now. He's already at the high level, being on loan to Team Canada right now. But if he was still like, you know, a year behind, like he was still in junior, he like you saw the move that he did at camp, right? Between yeah. the legs, kicks over, pass, something like like that that that's jaw dropping. Like, jaw dropping. Jaw dropping. Yeah. Imagine, you know, he's already at that skill set right now. Imagine if it's just one year behind, same skill set, and he's learning from Kendall Coin. You got a major like you got a star in the making already it's going to go to the next level especially if you're getting that uh extra help from Kendall Coin. yeah no I couldn't agree more and uh as I mentioned we talk about it a little bit with our guest uh, coming up so stay tuned but uh again great signing by the Blackhawks I'm excited to see what she can mm-hmm. do and my you know what my dad's a Blackhawks fan so uh there you go all, uh, kudos to him for for sticking with his club for so long <laughs> definitely um, in terms of NHL signings, we had two signings uh, this past week. Jake DeBrusque signed uh, a two-year extension with the uh, the Boston Bruins, worth $7.35 million. Uh, DeBrusque had 35 points in 65 games last season and added four goals in 13 playoff games. Uh, so far in his career, he has 120 po- points in 203 uh, regular season games. On top of that, the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning signed uh, re-signed RFA Mikhail Sergachev to a three-year, fourteen point four million dollar contract. That's an average annual value of four point eight million a year. The twenty-two year old was an RFA, um, and uh, again, coming off a of Stanley Cup, I still think it's one of the best moves by the the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning when they moved Drouin straight up for, for Sergeyev. So I think that was a, a solid deal and it's still working out in their favor. Everyone was talking about how like, this is like a steal at that price and what he can become. We, we like, we, like we see, we've seen how good Sergeyev can be. And we saw glimpses of that in the playoffs too. I mean, he got 10 points in 25 games. 
we haven't fully seen what Mikhail Sergachev can be because he's been like, you know, sort of in that bottom pairing kind of role. If he takes that next step and he becomes like, you know, instead of a 30 point producer, he could become 45, 50. They have a really good contract on their hands with that kind of production. And I'm I'm loving it. I'm, I'm loving the contract already, despite the fact that he only has 34 points. But he has hit the 48 point mark before in uh, 2017, 2018. So I've always loved Sergachev. I think that, you know, uh, Montreal needed some offense. So they traded for him and Drew in at the time. I wasn't a fan of it, knowing that, you know, you had a potential top four defensemen on in waiting to come up. Tampa Bay's defense is just getting better, and this Sergeyev contract just proves it. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and as for the DeBrus signing, um, obviously, you know, I I think it's a decent signing for what for mm-hmm. what you're getting. He's uh, He's got the potential to be a top six forward in terms of offensive ability, but he also brings the intangibles. And, I mean, as a Leafs fan, we saw what he brought uh, in terms of getting uh, Kadri off of his game. And uh, it played out well for the for the Boston Bruins that that uh, that playoff. So um, I think he's a he's a good, solid, underrated offensive player. Um, and I think it's a it's again another team friendly deal for for the Boston Bruins, uh, which they seem to continually come up with year after year after year. Yeah, and why did you have to bring that up, man? Why yeah. did you have to bring that up? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. It is a good deal. And like you said, Boston tries to go that team friendly route. And this is very team friendly. It's just with where they picked them. Like, I know, I know the past is in the past, but they picked them at 14th overall when they had, when they had three straight, you know, first round picks. It's just the way that he's developed isn't, I'm not sure it's how the Bruins had imagined it. Like they wanted him to be that top six guy, but he's still in that bottom six kind of role. And really hasn't taken that next step. Obviously, they're betting on him to like turn things around. Good third liner, and he can move, good third liner, and he can move up into the lineup. It's just it's it may be a little more time than they expected. I think they're so optimistic that he's going to get there, but we'll see how everything plays out. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And uh, obviously, some disappointing news coming out of the New York Islanders organization. Uh, Johnny Boychuk's going to be stepping away from the game as he retires. At the age of 36, um, uh, second round pick, 31st over, or sorry, 61st overall um, to the Colorado Avalanche in 2002. Uh, he's played 725 regular season games with 54 goals and 206 points. He uh, has 104 career playoff games, obviously being part of Boston that uh, that definitely climbed over the years. Uh, 13 goals and 30 points over that span. Um, you know, 36, I still think he had some hockey ahead of him. That said, mm-hmm. he did suffer the eye injury this past season, which, uh, it is, uh, like, oh, well, it's been discussed as the reason for him stepping away yeah. from the game. And obviously, you know, health and individual health comes number, number one. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, we're sad to see him go. He was, he was a, he was a gamer. He was a grinder. He liked to get out there and play the game the right way. And, um, you know, it, uh, all, all the best wishes to Johnny Boychuk in, in what comes next for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Out of, this is the second time that he had an injury that I um, had a previous injury. He had a, he had a previous injury before being cut by the skate of uh, Arturi Lekkonen. And that's what uh, caused um, this 
injury right now. It requires stitches, plastic surgery. So this second injury um, did a number on him. And it's disappointing. Like you said, he's a fierce competitor. He's someone that you don't want into or don't want to go one-on-one with or go into the corners because you know he can bring the body. He's going to be physical and he's going to make your life a living hell. And when he returned, it seemed like, you know, things were going the right way. He played three games in the bubble, but that was it. And making this decision, it's 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 difficult to call it quits, even when you think you have enough left in the tank. But it's even more hard when you know that you dealt with something serious like this. And, you know, you have the power, you have the strength, but it's just in the best interest for your well-being. And that's... That takes priority, simple as that. And, you know, we just wish nothing but the best of luck for Johnny right now. Yeah, I, I'm obviously not uh, not your your typical – I'm not an NHL player, so I can't really speak to that. But at yeah. the same time, you don't want to see – you don't want to see a player forced out of the game. You'd like Never. to see them go on their own on their own terms. And you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, this is this is one of those times where they're they're he, you know, Boychuk's obviously forced out of the game uh, before he's ready to go. And uh, like you said, you know, we wish him all the best. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. And uh, you know, good luck with with what's yeah. next. And hopefully, you can get back into the game in some aspect. I really am going to miss him though, because okay. Going back to the Stanley Cup champion team with the Bruins, honestly, like, he's a guy that you love to hate. Like, especially if he's on the opposing team. But if he's on your team, you know you want him. And that's any player that has that physical aspect of their game. You don't want, like, I hated when Toronto went up against him. But seeing what he can do, if that was on my team, I would love it. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, I don't think there's any any question at all that that, uh, you know, he he's the type of guy that was a was a team player, um, mm-hmm. great in the dressing room from what from what everyone said and um, yeah I think uh, obviously sad to see him go but uh, you know hopefully hopefully he's he's back in the game soon and and in a different aspect as well. Absolutely and I think you know with the way that we've seen with some retired players in the past and even right now, getting in the coaching GM scouting uh, you know advisory role. I think he would. I, I would love to see him in that position. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And um, yeah, all the best to Johnny Boychuk. And yeah. uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you take this retirement uh, well, and and uh, we'll see you back soon. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's uh, let's get to Maple Leafs talk. Um, again, let's. not not much uh, after. It seems like after they signed all these uh, free agents and stuff, like the news <laughs> is kind of. You know, we're picking it through things to to get some Maple Leafs news to talk about. But, you know, there is still a lot going on with the blue and white. Obviously, we get to watch some of their prospects overseas play. And uh, I want to get into Ronnie Hervin in for a second because yes. we, d- we did talk uh, to our, our, our guests coming up uh, about, um, you know, some of the some of the Leafs prospects and, and what they did this uh, this past draft and. Uh, you know, he didn't seem too excited about it, but mm-hmm. that being said, you know, Hervinen, Hervinen has five goals and nine points in 19 games with asset over, over, uh, overseas right now. And I, you know, I think from, from the video that I've been able to watch, uh, you know, I've been impressed with what Hervinen's done so far. I mean, we're all shocking about Rodian and Mirov, but then again, Rodian and Mirov is Rodian and Mirov. Um, Ronnie Hervinen, um, 
uh, if drafted in the second round with the Maple Leafs after they swapped picks with the Ottawa Senators right now. And I'm kind of honestly, I I had a player in mind with the second round pick, but they had someone else and they dropped down to 59 thinking that Ronnie Hirvonen would still be there. And that's looking like a really good pick right now. And I'm not just being biased because it's a Maple Leaf pick. I love what Hirvonen can bring. I mean, he's strong defensive minded. I mean, he has a hard, a great work ethic, but you see what he can do in the offensive zone right now. And if you're on Twitter and you're seeing clips from a scouter or a, um, prospect writers, video clippers and everything like that, he does everything so well. And I, and I know we talked about uh, Ronnie Nemiroff a lot. We should talk about Ronnie Hirvonen because Despite his size, despite being 5'9", 170, he doesn't play like a smaller player. He plays a big game, and he's he's got he's got something special. And it looks like he's going to be battling for a spot, I believe, with Finland within the upcoming World Juniors, if and when it happens. I mean, I'm still thinking it's going to happen, but seeing him right now, I mean, it's. It's amazing. I mean, he his ability to just drive to the net and not fear anything. I think that's the past few years or last year, Dubas addressed skill. This year, he's addressing, you know, that competitive aspect that he wanted to address with the offseason free agent signings. But we're seeing it with the prospects that he drafted right now. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, you talked about it. Uh, Hervinen doesn't get enough credit for what he does in the defensive zone either. And I think... Mm-hmm. You know, what he's been able to do, he makes high-danger passes, finding teammates on a regular basis. Um, he's he's great at anticipating and playing the playing the, the passing lanes and, and kind of understanding what needs to get done in a defensive aspect as well. So for him to have, you know, nine points in, in I'm going to correct myself here as well, 20 games uh, in the Liga so far, yep. um, you know, consider this. He had 16 points in 52 games last season with, in, the, in the Liga. Mm-hmm. So he's already, you know, he's only seven points shy of, of you know, his, let's say, Liga career high, uh, you know, through half the half the amount of games. So if he can continue on this pace, you know, this is a guy who's developing in the right way, um, you know, getting getting the reps, getting the time. And, and, you know, we're really seeing maybe what the Leafs saw in him to make him that uh, that pick for them in this past uh, past draft. So. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think he's a guy that people should keep an eye on and, um, you know, moving forward, uh, you know, he's a guy that could potentially make the jump to the, uh, to the, uh, North America or to North America at some point, uh, in the, in the next couple of seasons. Yeah. And you look at nine points in 20 games and it's like, oh, well, that's not great. Well, one season's still going. Two, he's probably not getting the ice time that, you know, let's say an Anton Lindell is getting. And we all, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I love Anton Lindell. I wish if he would have felt the Leafs, that would have been a great selection. But you look at his junior totals too. When he was at the U20 level with the Blues in the Junior A SM Liga, 55 points in 50 games. Well over a point. Just under that at the U18 level. So... He does have the ability to, you know, produce and he's going to get that opportunity again. If he had more ice time, I think he would have been higher up in terms of points. I think he already would have probably would have been a shade under what his career average is in the games that he played. If he had more ice time, because the way that he's moving around the ice right now, the way that he uses his body, despite the smaller frame, it's 
I know people are going to like pick on that as a reason why he's not going to succeed, but he is going to succeed. And he does that so well in terms of like retrievals, getting in the good positioning, knocking his opponents off and just, just doing the little things right. And I'm really loving this pick again. I, I'm, I know I said that before, but I'm, I'm interested to see what he could, uh, you know, develop into. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, yeah, I think it's, you know, any chance you get to watch some of these Leafs prospects overseas right now, uh, it's mm-hmm. great hockey. Like some of these kids, um, you don't really understand what they have until, you know, they get drafted. Suddenly their confidence is on the rise and and they're they're playing at a different level. Um, and, and I think Hervinen's a perfect example. Obviously, we talk about Rodi and Amarov. Uh, he's he's a perfect uh uh, a perfect example. He's just kind of stepped into that role uh, mm-hmm. this season, getting the ice time, getting the minutes, uh, you know, getting 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 uh, that offensive groove going uh, for himself. Um, so definitely, uh, if you have a chance, you know, follow these prospect writers on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll we'll give a shout out to Josh Bell. He's one of the best out there right now in mm-hmm. terms of in terms of content and and bringing names forward that maybe you wouldn't consider ninety uh, percent of the time. So. Uh, yep. Give these guys a follow because they, they give you the opportunity to see what uh, what's going on overseas and and see these players um, you know step into these roles that maybe maybe we're not used to over here. So um, yeah, uh, going off of that, um, I I touched on it with you just before we uh, we got recording here. Yeah. Um, an article released on the score.com from uh, Sean O'Leary. Uh, talking about Dubis and, and having his players and his team, his core guys, making a sacrifice that uh, maybe they haven't made in past seasons. And, uh, you know, it's a uh, great article. If you have the chance to check it out, uh, I definitely recommend it. Um, obviously, you know, he's talking about uh, kind of the grit that, that the Leafs added this uh, this season. And... Uh, or this off season, I should say, and and what uh, what the the core players on this team need to do to to kind of add to the to the potential of of this squad, maybe getting it done uh, come playoff time. Uh, and it just it goes on to say, you know, obviously Dubis wants to see some of his core guys win those 50-50 puck battles. Um, you know, get a little bit desperate to win uh, in in crunch time uh, when it's, you know, getting late in the game, up by one or down by one. You know, what are you going to do? It, you got to make those individual sacrifices rather than, you know, um, you know, sit back and, and maybe watch the game or watch the play develop, uh, get into the grimy areas and get and get stuff done. So great article. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but uh, me personally, I, this is exactly what I've been talking about for you know, and since we started the podcast, even prior to that, is that this team can be quite soft when it comes to their core players. And mm-hmm. we need to see more if you want to win at this level. I think, I mean, the core is the core. We already know that. But I think we could try and exclude Austin Matthews from that because we saw him on another level this year where he was battling and leaving everything out on the line no matter what. Regular season, postseason, he was doing that. And when I think of that, I just think of, like, the play that I saw from, like, you know, Mitch Marner. I mean, people are going to like it. William Nylander at times. And even John Tavares. I didn't see that he was quite engaged in the postseason. And that's got to change. 
And I'm just going to read a quote from that article that Dubas spoke about or that Dubas mentioned. When we talk about toughness with our group, it's very simple the way we define it. If there's a 50-50 puck battle, as you mentioned, do you desperately want to win that puck every single time? And are you willing to be the first one on that on the puck? Are you willing to go to the difficult areas of the ice with and without the puck and be successful? That is how teams win. There is no other way around it. You could talk about X's and O's and like, you know, percentages and like underlying numbers and stuff like that. That is important. But that ability to battle and get into and be aggressive and be competitive. That's what this team lacked. And I, and we saw, and again, I think Austin Matthews, we saw glimpses of that and we saw it even more so in the playoffs. I mean, he was pissed off. He wanted to win. He wanted to do everything he could. And it was just more so other players behind him need to follow that mentality. And with Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian, Joe Thornton, those heart and soul gritty guys that, uh, you know, want to win every single time that's going to help them. That's going to provide some reassurance. And if, you know, hopefully that, you know, gets through to them because let's face it, Tampa Bay was grinding it out. They, every single puck battle, 50, 50, even if they, even if they lost the puck battle, they're still battling to get, you know, position positioning and uh, retrieving the puck and going the other way. You need that. And if that, if this message sinks in and this is Dubas saying that, Hey, listen, what happened last time around was not acceptable to our standards. Smarten up and let's get to the point of the team that we want to be. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, uh, I think, I think he's got it. Uh, I, I think you're kind of right on the, on the right, uh, right track and saying that, you know, Matthews did take it to a new level next year or mm-hmm. last year. And I think he needs to continue that moving forward. Uh, I yeah. think it, it not only, help the team from a, from a, that aspect. But I think it helped him as an individual player. He was more into involved, more into the game um, and was able to, to almost, uh, you know, become a rocket Richard trophy winner at that, at, yeah. you know, in what he was able to do last season. So I do think you're on the right track there. Uh, I do want to see more out of a guy like Nylander who rather than reaching for the puck, you know, get in there and, and, and lean on, on defending players and, um, you know, Mitch Marner, you know, we saw you block a couple of shots of, of a couple of years ago in the playoffs, uh, right when it came down to to crunch time. And, and that's the mm-hmm. kind of stuff that we want to see moving forward. Yeah, you're not the biggest guy, but you can still throw your body around. You're 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 strong on the legs and and, and you know, you need to utilize those kind of, those type of things. You don't have to throw the biggest body check. That's not what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. They're looking for you to go into the grime areas and make the plays and maybe take a hit to make those plays. Um, I, I think that's I think that's what we're we're talking about when we, you talk about making those sacrifices and, um, yeah, I think for for Toronto to to get it done, I think that's what we're gonna have to see moving forward. And uh, you know, I, I I think Dubis is is finally kind of turning turning, um turning the table on what uh, what he expects from this club as well. And I think that's that's kind of what needs to get done. And I know on previous podcasts or previous episodes when we talked about the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the championship, they sacrificed skill and brought in depth. That's how teams win. That's how Washington won. That's how, you know, I'm not, well, I mean, Vegas didn't win, but that's how they got to, you know, the Stanley Cup. Uh, that's how they got to the Stanley Cup final when they lost to Washington. That's how the St. Louis Blues won. 
you need you can't just rely on skill all the time yeah it's great but it's not going to get far you need your star players you need your star players to step up physically as well Mm -hmm. yeah and and that's the thing you need everybody to buy in and the fact that you know with the offseason signings i know uh we talk about it nonstop, and even i mentioned earlier this is the experience that you need for a young uh, team simple as that there is no other way around it yeah no 100 percent. and uh, i just want to take a quick note here um just uh just popped up on on my twitter feed here um former toronto maple leaf player nikita soshnikov was just traded in the khl to uh, cska moscow but that's not that's not what i want to note he has 17 points in 21 games over in the KHL right now. Yeah. Um, obviously, he wasn't going to make it in the NHL, but just a, a, an interesting note to see these players kind of go over there and, and become these superstar-type players. Uh, yeah, just uh, just an interesting note uh, from that standpoint. I remember when he got called up, and I was really, really looking forward to seeing him play and make an impact. And I just... Man, I wish he was still on... Yeah, I mean, somewhat disappointing, but I just wish he would have gotten a better opportunity. And I think he maybe he was just buried in a lot. He didn't get the chance. And if he would have got that chance consistently, I think he would have done well. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I think it's about earning your, your place. And I, I just, you know, I just never felt like I felt like he got called up and he just didn't he just didn't. Uh, you know, fit the role they were looking for. And maybe that's, maybe that's why he didn't get that opportunity. I, I'm yeah. not sure, but um, yeah, it's always nice to look back on some of these players and see what they're doing when they, when they jump to other leagues and, and having success. And, but uh, yeah, just, I, I, it popped up and it was an interesting note. I just looked at their point totals and I uh, was a little bit surprised. So, yeah. um, you know, that being said, uh, we've, we've referred to it a couple times on this show already. Mm-hmm. Peter, I want to send it to our guest, uh, the Hockey News, Ryan Kennedy, uh, a fantastic guest. Uh, it's a great interview. I hope uh, I hope our listeners enjoy what uh, what he's got to say. Folks, we have a great guest today on this episode of Sticks in the Six. He's well known for his draft coverage and prospect rankings, as well as being a senior writer for the Hockey News. He's here to talk everything about the upcoming World Junior Hockey Championships. We are happy to have Ryan Kennedy to the show. Ryan, thank you so much for joining, man. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm just going to get right into the biggest news that came out yesterday. Um, Team Canada's evaluation camp. Recently, one staff member tested positive. Two players were recently tested positive for COVID-19. And now... They're in full quarantine, 14 days. Obviously a big challenge. Uh, We saw that with the NHL doing a great job heading in with their bubble system. Do you feel that there's uh, still confidence from Hockey Canada and the double IHF that this could work out for the tournament? I'd say it's looking a little dicey at this point. Um, I think the big lesson, you know, if what I'm hearing is correct, is that you know they, they need to do a lot more testing than they thought they did originally. Um, you know, it was reported that they were testing people twice a week, and, and obviously that was not enough. Uh, I think what probably happened is that that non-core staffer uh, probably had a false negative test upon entering the bubble, and then realized that they had contracted the virus 
once it was too late. So when you're bringing in teams from Europe and the U.S., and you're also bringing refs and linesmen from across Canada into Alberta, which has a lot of cases right now, you're vigilant. And it, this is just, it, it's not a great sign that Canada's bubble popped before they even got to Edmonton. But, I mean, if the will is there from all the stakeholders, then they can make a go of it. But um, I, I think there's going to need to be more assurances uh, particularly for these European countries uh, that are coming over, that that things can be uh, a little more tighter. Ryan, uh, Ryan uh, I've um, I've been interested in in prospecting, I guess, for the last five years. Um, what what kind of gets you into like what what has gotten you into being kind of the prospect guru over at the Hockey News? Well. You know, when I first started getting into it, it was just sort of a niche that I thought I could be good at. And it was something that, you know, we had our future watch issue, we had our draft preview issue. But, you know, in terms of the website, we were really just getting the website going uh, at that point. And I thought that was an area that I could kind of make my own. And it's funny, I, I remember, you know, the first kind of hot list prospect rankings uh, that I did on the website, it was guys like Tuka Rask and John Tavares, um, who obviously now become stars in the NHL. And there were some guys that obviously didn't make it at all, but that's how long ago it was. Um, and, you know, just from there, it, it was a fun thing. Um, you kind of get deeper as you go where you start off looking at major junior and uh, you know the NCAA and the AHL, and then you find out that you know all these kids are coming from the Minnesota high school circuit. So what you know, what information can I find out about Minnesota high schoolers, and what can I find out about you know the junior A leagues across Canada or the USHL or the NAHL? And you know nowadays it's a lot easier because basically everybody's games are televised, even Minnesota high school games you can find. Uh, online um, so you can sort of do your own scouting but to me the the most fun is is talking to the actual NHL team scouts about um, their opinions on players and to me that's uh, that's kind of the most fun thing about my job. Jumping ship over to the 2021 NHL draft coming up um, a lot of big names coming up uh, that are also having a great chance of making their roster for the world juniors. Um, who are some of the names that you're looking out for and who are some of the underrated prospects that could have a shot at making the tournament this year? Well, in terms of 2021 prospects, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting because obviously Owen power is not going to play for mm -hmm. Canada, but um, you know, you do have Atu Rati who uh, already played for Finland at last year's tournament and I think he'll have an even bigger role for Finland this year um, as one of their centers. You know, you look at the Finns, they'll have Anton Lundell, who, who missed last year's tournament due to injury. So they'll have Lundell and Rati down the middle. I think mean, that'll be very fun. Um, yeah. You know, I, I wonder if we see somebody like a Fabian Lysel make it for Sweden. Um, you know, Jesper Wallstead is the best goalie this year, but I don't know if Sweden would bring him as a two or a three, uh, or if it's 
better serve for him to just be back home playing games during the tournament. Uh, for Team USA, I think Matty Beniers uh, probably has a pretty decent shot. Uh, he's obviously at the University of Michigan right now, off to a great start, just like all their other freshmen. Um, so that would be an interesting player to watch. Um, those would be the, the names, I think. And then, you know, I, I guess a little under the radar is, um, you know, for the Czechs, I, I wonder if uh, a kid like Stanislav Savozel gets a shot on defense. You know, the Czechs are not really that deep. And Savozel, I, you know, I've watched him with Berno this year a couple of times, and his confidence has really grown even just in the past couple of weeks. I think he's a really good two-way defender, and I think if he was playing against his peers, he would probably uh, be able to put up uh, some nice points. So I, I think Savozel would probably be an under-the-radar guy that I'd be looking at for 2021 in the World Juniors. You mentioned uh, Owen Power, and obviously Michigan not uh, not letting him go to the uh, Canadian camp. Um, you know, what's your reaction to that, and how much does it uh, play into how much does COVID kind of play into that, and just having him around playing meaningful games at this point in time? Well, right now it looks like the best decision in the world uh, because Owen Power has still been playing games, and then you know you look unfortunately at a player like Dylan Holloway uh, who left Wisconsin to go to the camp and now, and he's just been basically skating with Alex Newhook and now he won't be skating at all for the next two weeks because of the outbreak. Um, it was a tough situation for power because, you know, Michigan did ask if he could join later and hockey Canada said no. Um, so it, it really put him in a tough spot, but you know, for a young guy who, you know, he would have made my team, but I would have understood if hockey Canada had gone with more experienced defensemen. I mean, it is a very deep squad. So he was no guarantee to make the roster. In staying in Michigan, he gets great game experience. He's playing against older players. And, you know, in hindsight, he's actually playing games right now, which is the most important thing. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, Canada's camp, obviously, on hiatus. So I, I think it was a tough situation. I think that if he's if he doesn't make the leap directly to the NHL next year, which I think is possible, um, he'll definitely be at the World Juniors for Canada. But this year, I think he made the right decision. Would it be right to, you know, not talk about someone who's gaining a lot of attention right now, especially in the OHL, 16-year-old Shane Wright. What are your thoughts of the young phenom so far, uh, his rookie year, and uh, after the few intra-squad games with Canada so far? Well, I think it's it's great to get excited about Shane Wright because there's so much to like about this kid. And what's very interesting is that, you know, usually with these phenoms, they've got obviously the high-end skill. And you say to yourself, okay, well, once they get sort of bigger and stronger, they'll really be something. Shane Wright is already pretty strong. And yeah. I think that's why he's been able to hang with the best uh, – of Canada's camp. And I think he's shown really well. I think he's the type of player that could be that rare 16 year old that makes the world junior squad for Canada because he is responsible enough. He has that two way game where even if he had to play on your fourth line this year, he could make contributions. And I think that's an, it's an important distinction because when you're young, you know, I mean, some players need to have a scoring role in order to be effective. 
But I always think about, you know, the year that Nathan McKinnon played for Canada, um, if I'm not mistaken, he was 17, and he was basically a bottom sixer. But it, it's because he could handle that role. And, uh, and obviously he went on to the NHL soon after and was a star. But I think Shane Wright is similar where he, he is gifted, but he also has all the other elements of his game already in line where you can use him sort of a smaller role this year and say, okay, Shane, you know, get your minutes, figure out the level of competition here because next year you're going to be one of our more, more important players. Mm-hmm. Some have referred to the 2021 draft as the year of the defenseman. Um, are you kind of in the same boat with Atu Ratti kind of uh, dropping down that, uh, that upper echelon of the first round there and, and seeing maybe three defensemen go one, two, three? I, I think Rati is dropping a little bit. He hasn't been tremendously effective uh, in Finland this year. He's not getting a lot of ice time, which is unfortunate, but, you know, it's understandable given his age. Um, in terms of defensemen going one, two, three, I'm not sure, uh, simply because, you know, you look at Kent Johnson uh, and even Matty Beneers in Michigan, and they're playing so well right now. Um, that I think you have to consider them in that sort of top three, top five range. Uh, it's it's a really tough year to forecast because only some players are actually playing right now. So, you know, we can forecast what Brant Clark will be like, um, and we have his pedigree to go off. But until, you know, February, we're really kind of just putting in placeholders. Um, so for me right now, Owen power, uh, is number one, but after that, it's, it's, you know, you, you kind of have to put guys in a range at this point, as opposed to being more definitive, just because there's so, uh, much information that we lack right now. Ryan, who are some names that are possibly, you know, not necessarily first rounders yet, but could jump into that category this year for the draft? Well, I mean, one player that I really like that, you know, I, I'm not sure if he's a first rounder yet, but I, I really like his tools is Jack Peart, uh, who plays in the USHL for the Fargo Force. Uh, you know, again, you know, a Minnesota high school kid, just an incredible skater. And, um, you know, he's really showed off his wheels early on with the Force. Um, last time I checked, he doesn't have a ton of points, um, but... It's pretty effective back there. And, you know, I, I think when you get to that sort of 25 to 31 range, maybe even 20 to 31 in the draft, a lot of times you're looking for a player that has a, a specific skill that you can build off. You know, you either go that way or you go with sort of a kid that's, you know, just all around good that might not have the same kind of upside. But, you know, I look at Jack Peart and I, I think if, if he continues to play well and, um, you know, has a, a significant role with Fargo, that's the kind of kid that you can project and say, based on his skating, you know, he's worth taking a, a first, you know, a late first rounder on um, because he could really develop into something special. You kind of mentioned it in your last answer too. Um, you know, we've seen a few players make the jump to to Europe from uh, North American leagues uh, just to get that chance to play. Um, how much does this hiatus um, kind of hurt players like Brant Clark? 
Well, it's really tough because at this age, um, you know, development is so crucial and you just, you need reps and it's not even so much that you need game reps, but you know, you need high energy practice reps as well. Um, obviously in major junior, you're getting a ton of games um, and that's great. But you know, if you're in the college track, um, especially if you're already in college, it, you know, it's, it's a lot of like weight room and, and a lot of practice. And then your games are on the weekend. Uh, you know, both routes are really good. But, you know, for a guy like Brant Clark right now, and, you know, he tried to go to Sweden and that got nixed uh, just because of contract situations. It's, it's tough because I'm sure he's skating somewhere right now and I'm sure he's working out somewhere right now, but it's, it's not formal and it's, it's not going to be the same as being with the Barry Colts, uh, you know, as a whole. And it's not the same as playing games, you know, two, three times a week and getting that high level experience. So for him, I mean, there's only so much he can do and you just kind of have to be ready for when you do get your shot. And, you know, hopefully that's early February. Right. We talked about this extensively on the podcast. We had Mike Stubbs last week talk about it. What are your thoughts on the OHL and OJHL and the no contact aspect possibly being effective for when the seasons start up? I mean, we know that, you know, this virus is very contagious and it is a concern. We saw that with the QMJHL with their uh, cases, Team Canada right now. I just want to get your thought if that's really a, a real possibility because that is a major part of the game right now. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a real possibility with the OHL. It feels like the OJHL has come out and said that they're going to play no contact. Um, you know, maybe they would change it if you know, once the OHL came back, but I, I just, I, I don't see the real logic in it simply because, you know, when you're, when you're throwing a hit, it's very momentary. Um, if you're taking out contact, then you're going to have a lot more, you know, sort of scrums along the boards where guys are trying to get the puck, but they can't hit each other. So they're actually going to be around each other longer. Um, I, I don't think that the, Ontario government really thought this through and you know I think it was only like 12 or 18 hours after the Minister of Sport came out with that decree that the Premier was like no uh, we're going to keep this dialogue open because uh, you know he himself (laughs) would like to see hitting in the OHL Um, there was just there's just too much that's unresolved like for example if there's no hitting in Ontario, then how are the Maple Leafs and the Senators going to play once the NHL resumes? Because the Mm -hmm. NHL would probably resume before the OHL if the schedule holds, as we think it will be right now. Um, So I think it was a lot of saber-rattling, and I think the the government was in a bit over their heads. I mean, we'll we'll have to see, but I I don't think it's safer uh, to go non-contact. And we've seen plenty of games happen... You know, the USHL has been playing for a couple of weeks now. All the junior A leagues out west have, you know, been playing. And if anything, it's just, a, you know, the COVID cases are coming from outside sources. Like in the Quebec League, from my understanding, the team got it from a gym, from a gym. Uh, not from a, you know, the, the other team got it from the game, but it was originally from a gym. So I think it's... Um. 
the Chicago Blackhawks hired Kendall Coyne Schofield as the player development coach and youth hockey growth specialist. Um, aside from that long title, um, how great is the the addition of, of Coyne Schofield to an NHL squad and, and just in terms of uh, women in hockey? I think it's fantastic because, I mean, she's more than qualified. Uh, and, you know, I wrote a blog about this when she was hired that, if you look at Coin Schofield's stride, like her skating fundamentals are incredible. I mean, they're right up there with the best in the world. So if you're a prospect with the Blackhawks, that's the type of person you want to be talking to. You want to be looking at somebody who has perfected that craft and knows how to analyze her own game. I mean, I've spoken to Coin Schofield about it before. Um, she knows what she's looking for when she's um, evaluating her own game. So for her to be able to impart that wisdom upon the next generation, I think is super valuable. And, you know, the fact that we're getting more women into the NHL, you know, Haley Wickenheiser was there before with the Leafs as well. And, you know, there are a number of um, high-end skating coaches like Don Braden, Barb Underhill, who have worked with NHL teams. It's really about getting the best minds possible, especially in the salary cap era where you can only spend so much on players, but you can spend whatever you want on personnel. So you really have to open the doors as wide as you can to find the best people, because if you're just sticking to ex-NHLers, uh, A, you're getting guys that might have been amazing players but are not amazing teachers, and B, you're limiting your pool. And, and you just can't do that in a competitive environment these days. So I think it's great for Chicago uh, to get Coinscofield. I mean, the, the Hawks are a franchise that, you know, they've always had a really large scouting department, and I think they've benefited from that. Um, so having deep pockets can have benefits on the ice, and I think Coinscofield will help with that. Ryan, it just seemed like perfect timing this week. I got my hockey news pool guide set up for like when the fantasy season starts, I'm all ready to go. And obviously you have like, you know, a lot of information regarding the team, transactions, new arrivals and prospects. Um, obviously with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Rodion Amirov is, you know, being lights out right now. Ronnie Hirvonen is doing a really great job. Um, who are some underrated prospects in the lease system that you think could rise up and make a significant contribution? Not right now, but maybe two or three years down the line. Well, you know, I think I wasn't like super into the Leafs draft. Um, I think they got a lot of the same skill set, but I mean, Herbertin is obviously off to a great start. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, one guy I would look at is, is VT Mietinen, um, simply because he stayed in the Finnish junior ranks because he was NCAA uh, bound. You know, he, he was committed to St. Cloud State. Um, so he put up huge numbers and he probably could have played in the Liga if he wasn't trying to keep his NCAA eligibility. So that's one guy that I look at in that 2020 Leafs draft class and say, okay, well, they, they might have got a nice one there because we, we, we really haven't seen the, the ceiling on Mietnin yet. You know, he hasn't played the, the competition that he could have. And, you know, going to St. Cloud, he's going to play against some great teams in the NCHC. Um, you know, he's going to go up against North Dakota. He's going to go up against Denver. 
And um, it'll be fun to see what he can do as a freshman because I think he could probably be an impact freshman right away. Well, I was going to ask you about Amirov as well, but uh, you know, with that question coming coming in from Peter, there, I'm just going to ask you as a, as kind of a closeout question here. Holiday season coming up. Um, what's your drink of choice, Ryan, going into the holidays? Dr Pepper, day and night. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, Ryan, we can't thank you enough for coming on and being a part of the show. We really do appreciate that. Um, we hope that, you know, you're staying safe and everything is going well with you. And thank you again so much for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Take it easy. Well, Peter, that was uh, that was quite the interview. Um, obviously, you know, we, we mentioned it a couple times throughout the episode uh, Ryan had so much great stuff to say. He's a, he's a prospect guru in his own right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've I've had the opportunity to see him in in uh, in action at the at the NHL Combine on a number of occasions, and uh, really delves deep with some of these young guys in terms of uh, you know not just who they are as a player, but who they are as a person. And I think that's a great great way to look at things. And uh, obviously, I mean, if you've stuck around to to hear what he has to say. Uh, you'll enjoy uh, every little bit of what uh, what Ryan does um, from his from his uh, his perch at the uh, at the hockey uh, hockey news. So I always look forward to his prospect writing rankings and just everything that he does. I mean, I interned at the hockey news a few years back and I saw Ryan and he just got back from uh, the World Junior Tournament in Russia and. Just a really great guy. He knows what he's talking about. And I even caught up with him uh, last year at the World Junior Selection Camp. He's, again, just a really down-to-earth guy. Really nice. But when it comes to hockey, he knows the stuff. And he gave a really, really great interview with a lot of insight that, you know, um, you know, I was I was expecting to, to get nonetheless because that's uh, Ryan for you. Um you know, uh, we really appreciate him having uh, him on, and yeah, it's it was it was a really great opportunity to have him. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And uh, you know, like we mentioned in the past, obviously we want to bring you incredible guests like Ryan uh, week in and week out. And um, you know, if if you guys continue to listen, we're going to continue to produce the content and, and get you guys uh, what you guys want to hear. Um, you know, a huge thank you to Ryan for coming on and. Yes. Uh, you know, delivering such an incredible, uh, incredible interview. We only got a half an hour with him, but uh, we we hope to get him back on and, and talk prospects and, and Maple Leafs uh, moving forward. No, definitely. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it was only a half hour, but it was a half hour of really great content. Yeah, really, really deep dives into into not only you know, OHL prospects, NHL prospects. Uh, you know what the NHL is going to do, the World Juniors. You know, mm-hmm. just great content all around and uh you know hell of a guy and and like i said hopefully uh we can get him back on uh in the near future um yeah but uh with that uh peter another great week in the books uh this off season just continues to drag on uh i'm dying for some puck you know i want to wear my joe thornton jersey i want to throw it on and (laughs) and throw the leafs on have a beer in my hand maybe have two who knows um, but, uh, you know, this, this off season's dragging on, um, you, you know, any, anything you got going on this week that, uh, can distract us from hockey? Um, 
I'm working on, well, I'm, uh, I know I mentioned this about a week ago. I'm still working on our, you know, projected roster piece. Um, uh, that took a bit of a sidetrack because I started some World Junior content and I got a pretty nice little uh, feature coming out. So I'm really looking forward to put, putting that together. And I'm really excited about how it's going to turn out. How yeah, about you, man? I, uh, not much, to be honest. Uh, you know, obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll continue writing uh, some Leaf content. Uh, I've been doing a deep dive in, in, in looking at uh, some of the... Uh, some of the um, you know Leafs prospects that are on the ice uh, overseas right now. Um, that's kind of my prospect report uh, that I I'd like to get going on a weekly basis again. I'm hoping to get a, a Maple Leafs mailbag out there, maybe answer some questions from from listeners or or my readers. Uh, you know, all depending on uh, what I get back from that. Uh, but aside mm-hmm. from that, you know, it's just. It's a normal week here in London, Ontario. Um, still no, well, all the snow that we did get is melted and, yeah. uh, you know, we're back to kind of some decent weather. So, you know, um, it's my kid's first Christmas. So we're, we're kind of doing that stuff. We cut down a Christmas tree with my family uh, last uh, or yesterday. So, um, yeah, just kind of your usual stuff. And, you know, we'll look to get our, our next guest ready for, for our listeners out there. Absolutely. Nothing like, nothing like, you know, you know, celebrating your first Christmas with the newborn. That's always something special. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, we're, we're really looking forward to it. Obviously, you know, um, you know, it's going to be a different type of Christmas this year. No, Chris, no, uh, no picture with Santa Claus, but uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, a, it'll be a different go this, this time around. But uh, yeah, again, a great week, great guest. Uh, anybody out there listening, please tell your friends. Listen, review, subscribe. You've got us on Spotify. You've got us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. You can follow Peter over on Twitter at P Barracchini, B-A-R-A-C-C-H-I-N-I. Uh, you can follow myself at Andrew G. Forbes. Um, or you can follow the podcast if that's what you're into at uh, Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E, the number six, I-X-P-O-D. Um, you know, just shoot us some questions, shoot us some discussion mm-hmm. topics. We always love hearing from you guys. And, uh, you know, to all you guys out there listening, we appreciate you and thank you and look forward to talking next week. Absolutely. And before we go, um, before I sign off, I just want to say last week, a little bit of a fumble. Um, I kind of said that Brent Clark had 130 points, I believe. Um, not even close. He had 113, but, um, Again, a lot of numbers, a lot of facts coming our way. But um, as Andrew said, um, stay safe. Thank you for everybody who's tuning in. Um, we really, really, we really can't say enough about what's going on right now, and we really just value your value your uh, tuning into us every single week. And I'm losing track of everything of my thoughts right now. But we we thank you no matter what. Quarantine is getting to us, so very thank yeah. you, <laughs> thank you all. Um, We look forward to talking again next week. We appreciate you guys. Thank you.